This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? Just another day in paradise. Just another day in paradise. <laughs> so let's hop into it. We got my buddy, John Donovan from Donovan Ventures. John, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. Just recovering from that Astros loss last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking. Who do they play? Tampa Bay. We got game five Thursday. Elimination game. See, so yeah, that's why I, you know that's why I just stopped watching sports because I was a lifelong diehard Dallas Cowboys fan, right? And you know how much energy and time I devoted to them just to be let down season after season. And then when Tony Romo retired, I quit watching football, and I just like I've got my life back. Like yeah. I have energy, and I'm like, man, I'm not being let down by the Cowboys anymore. So now he's all over PGA, I think, right? And they walk yeah, on. I think you those that and, uh, yeah commentates on on NFL games. Yeah. So everyone's now seeing like the genius of Tony Romo. They're like, man, this guy's just smart as hell. And I'm like, telling you guys that the entire time he's a cowboy. But yeah. anyways, bringing up bad memories here. So <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. So Donovan Ventures, just so everyone knows, one of my favorite capital groups in the space. I work with them pretty closely um, and just really good friends with them. Good guys overall. John, why don't you give us a, a quick synopsis of Donovan Ventures and what you guys are? Yeah, you bet. So Donovan Ventures is a firm that I founded about 12 years ago, and we can go into my background a little later, but it's originally the premise was helping management teams raise capital and, and institutional capital. After leaving Quantum, really saw a void in the space where you had, you had strong teams representing strong assets or strong opportunities that really didn't know how to present to the institutional markets, the private equity guys. And so when, let's see, we were investing at a fund for at Quantum, we started chasing bigger and bigger opportunities because of the capital size of that fund. And and really what, what I saw was, you know, good opportunities going different directions just because either, you know, it was too small for us or uh, capital size wise, or we already had a team in the basin and we didn't want to overlap. And, and they ended up going up over to other funds. And I recognized, you know, this was 07, right? So money was loose and fast, you know, pre-crash. And, you know, everybody had a fund. Everybody had capital. And what I noticed in that time was, you know, capital almost became a, the commodity much more available than it is, you know, probably as, as scarce as it is today, but a different cycle. And recognized the value really lied with the, with the management team and the asset. And if I could align myself with those guys then I could go out and help them raise capital, mm-hmm. you know, specific to the niche, whether it was for a gas asset, regardless of geography or regardless of capital size. And then, you know, I did it in a venture oriented way where, you know, we'd charge a, a small fee for, for that service. We'd also participate in management's back end. You know, I'd put money in alongside as well. So kind of synthetically created what I'd left at Quantum and, and you know, did great out of the gates thankfully you know 07 we got a deal done and then the world collapsed kind of into 07 starting going into 08 and 09 and stayed in that advisory role a little longer than i expected i've always wanted to be in the in the fund Mm -hmm. um, in the investment management side of things and so you know survived through that downtime and and since sort of 2010 have been have been growing 
Yeah. And that's when we made our first investment in 2010 and we made a couple of them. And, and really where we originally started pursuing our deals was, you know, this much smaller space where the, you know, I say venture, it's probably early stage, you know, it wasn't techie, it wasn't data, it wasn't, it wasn't sexy, but it was, it was early stage. It was a, you know, a father's son that needed one more pickup truck or, you know, a buddy that wanted to open up another division, you know, things that we could fund ourselves or, you know, if I couldn't, if I couldn't, you know, write the check, then we'd pass the hat. And we started doing that a number of times. And so we've developed this, you know, intentionally, but sort of accidentally a, you know, sort of a niche that we don't see a lot of people playing in. And that's that early stage market. It, our, our, our thesis has tightened a little bit, you know, as we go towards the institutional markets and start to look for bigger opportunities. I think a lot of the investments we've made to date, we've been held back. We've either had to bring in co-investment dollars or, or go raise an institutional round that, you know, otherwise we would have written our, you know, double down, if you will. So really targeted these, you know, still targeting these early stage businesses, but looking for the edge, you know, how are mm-hmm. they transitioning to technology? How are they transitioning to data analytics? You know, how are they, how are they going to operate in this, this new world that's very focused on efficiency and optimization and, you know, all the, all the keywords you hear, but really the producer has the checkbook and it's, you know, for them, it's how do we make more money with, with less? Yep. Yeah. So that's what I like about you guys is that you're very opportunistic, right? I find that pretty fascinating about you because if you look at your portfolio companies, you know, you've done these big ENP raises, you know, you know, you've done oil field services, you've done early stage digital tech, and there's not a lot of funds like that, especially in the oil and gas space. You know, I think we've talked about this plenty of times on the show before, but you have this, just this gap in early stage funding. And I think that that's kind of started to fill over the last year or so, but you guys are really, you know, one of the first funds that I'd seen that would take a look at early stage companies, you know, regardless of what, what type of company it was. So, you know, how, how have you guys seen, you know, what is most of your focus in your portfolio from the fund side? You know, we can, just so our viewers have clarity, the way that you guys operate, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have your advisory service. And so this is, you know, if someone's wanting to do a $100 million capital raise for their EMP, you guys work on the advisory side to help them raise that capital, you know, from private equity. And then you actually have your fund size too. And you guys cut, is it up to $2 million checks out of out of that fund or is it is it less? Out of the fund, we can do, we can, the fund can write up to $2 million checks, but we've often, you know, brought in co-investment that'll take that up to 10 or, or even 20, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, some of the relationships we can pull out of that advisory side of the business. Yeah. So, so we're agnostic. We're very opportunistic. You know, if it doesn't fit in the fund, you know, we often say, hey, we can't stroke the whole check. Let's go raise you the capital and we'll just participate through that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, you know, you look at like a rise of energy. Uh, who's an EMP that's data-driven. That was kind of the approach that you took with those guys, right? You know, you'd, you'd cut a check for their initial seed round or whatever round you want to call that, and then you guys went and raised subsequent rounds after that through private equity. That's right. That's right. A seed round was the first check, sort of get the the office open, get the assets bought, proof of strategy, and then went and raised that second round with NCAP. Uh, Interesting. So let's kind of roll it back. You know, you mentioned that you're at Quantum, what happened, you know, what happened before that? How did you land at Quantum? Because, you know, if you know now, Quantum's a, a successful PE shop. What what led up to that? You know, what did you do before that? Sure, sure. I think it goes 
mean, it goes way back. I've always been entrepreneurial, you know, not unlike probably most of us, mode yards growing up and grew up here in Houston and, you know, have lived around the energy industry, but never had a lot of direct interaction with it. So went off to college at, at UT and focused on finance and accounting and then came out in the summer, I guess my, my freshman summer, I, I drove a boat on the lake. So that was fun. <laughs> After goofing off Valley Park cars because I couldn't make enough, you know, driving the boat. And then sophomore years where I kind of got in the in the trade, I started at Wells Fargo in Austin, working some of their their generalist portfolio just in the, in the commercial bank sector. And then junior year went into an internship with DLJ, which is an investment bank here in Houston, and really didn't you know eyes wide open, didn't know what investment banking was. Had friends in it and heard kind of you know, through the textbook, what it was, but no real world application. And so I got a full-time offer after that summer and spent two years there. And, and it was, you know, the go-go years kind of, you know, 08 was, you know, on my own. And, and right after that crash, this was kind of 99, 2000, 2001. So you had, you had a huge technology run. I think I got, mm-hmm. you know, three raises between that summer job and actually starting from DLJ because so many people were leaving to go to California. Yeah. And they're just like, just stay, you know, they'd send your sweatshirts and mugs. And you're like, this is incredible. <laughs> and and it was a thousand bucks. What really so. got me was, was the coffee mug. <laughs> yeah. It was like a thousand bucks, but it was like, hey, these guys, these guys care. I mean, it was, it was a valuable lesson, but, you know, started full time in May of 2000 and, you know, this is the time everybody wanted to look like Enron. It was all off balance sheet financings, all, you know, how do we, how do we lighten our, our balance sheet to improve our return on, on, on capital really and, and equities. And, and then the back half of that, that um, year going forward to O2, it was, all right, we don't want to look anything like Enron. Let's put it all back on the balance sheet. So you just had a lot of very structured financings being done, you know, whether it's at the asset level or, or the equity level. The financing level, I mean, debt was was flying all over the place. So got a lot of structured experience there. And then in 2002, a friend referred me to Quantum. They had just raised their second fund. They were looking for an associate to, to help execute, you know, the the legacy investments of Fund 1 and, and the new investments in Fund 2. And really hit it off with Will and Toby and, and Michael over there and loved every minute of it. Spent five years there, really focused on the private side of the business you know I, I look back and each of those jobs really prepared me for where i am today you know just bringing that that structured experience to to the smaller stage and so spent the five years with quantum you know sourcing structuring monitoring these portfolio companies learning how a fund works and you know had had spent a lot of time and and this was a another sort of hyper growth period where you know, we went from 300 million in assets between fund one and two to, gosh, three, three billion in assets yeah. in five years. I mean, just Quite insane. Quite multiplier, yeah. Insane. And so very fortunate to have have a lot of growth during that time and, and saw what Will and Toby did at a young age and said, man, if I can just do a quarter of what they've done, I've, I've hit it out of the part. And, mm-hmm. and again, back to those entrepreneurial strings, had had made some, some good money with them. And, you know, we parted on great terms and said, I'm going to go hang a shingle and see what I can do. And so what was kind of the driving force for you to do that? Because you make it sound so easy, right? To like, oh, I was making a ton of money, you know, 
had a great, great position. It was just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going out on my own. It's yeah. not that easy, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, that's the very reason that most people wouldn't leave, right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, for sure. Killing for sure. it. You love people that you work with, love the business, making great money. Well, and, and you're young and naive a little bit, right? So you think, you know, there's always that grass is greener and I can do it better and, you know, I can do it different and I can be this, yeah, you know, this sort of solution to all problems and and we've honed that and we've narrowed that but it's i mean it's very difficult looking back like man you know you just don't know what you don't know but <laughs> you know i wouldn't trade it for the world but it's been you know i think what i can't put a point on what led me to that but you know as i look back you know I've, i had the entrepreneurial spirit I've, i made good money was able to save you know saw an opportunity and you know that that nobody was really serving and you know just recognized I was doing this, you know, under the quantum umbrella, I can do this under my own shingle too. And, mm-hmm. and just jumped, you know, I had just gotten married about a year before that, had that dual <laughs> income. And I was like, honey, I'm going to, I'm going to go start my own yeah. like, what? That they got is Josh uh, Trillick from World Data Labs on our podcast. And he was talking about that and his wife, she's like, you know, He's like, well, you know, I got to tell you, I'm an entrepreneur. She's like, what does that mean? He's like, it means that I will leave a really well-paying job yeah. <laughs> to possibly not make any money. <laughs> that was it. And, it. and it was funny. I said, just give me a year. Let me see if I can do this. And, you know, 07, you know, we, we did great. And then we didn't do anything in 08, 09. It was like consulting gigs. And, you know, the world was I mean, that's a rough period of time, right? And, and she's like, what happened? To that? I was like, just, I just gave you one year. You know, we solved that first year. <laughs> I didn't say two and three. Yeah. But it was, you know, stayed super lean, learned a lot in those downturns, you know. You know, there seems to be a, a cycle on in the industry. And I've, I've, fortunately, I've experienced a couple of them. I didn't think they'd happen this fast. but So, I mean, we're going through another one, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at it and, you know, just in your short amount of time, I mean, you see, you see the tech bubble and everything that happened through that. You mm-hmm. see the 08 recession. And now, you know, we're on, what, 10-year bull run since since that happened so both in the just general overall economy but then in the oil and gas industry there's a lot that's happening in the space too so i mean that's three pretty significant cycles that yeah. you've seen they've really compressed in time and then i think they're more volatile than they have been in the past that you know i can't speak to you know the 80s seem to be the hardest hardest one that every you know all our mentors and and guys that lived through it said you know it's it's so much worse but you know, these seem to be harder to do any planning, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to, to predict what's next, but we know yeah. it cycles. So we feel good about that. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any really painful lessons those first years or just stuff like you said, the stuff that you don't know what you don't know. Is there anything that just came out of left field that you were like, man, I mean, obviously like the downturn, right? Yeah. Oh, seven, oh eight. That, that, I mean, that's a given, but anything else? Well, I think, yeah. And the fund was kind of a spawn of that. I mean, in, in the advisory days and and still you know you need you need predictable markets or at least market confidence for assets to trade and you see that MA, you know volume fluctuate with you know when in periods of hyper price growth and hyper price decline people are just nervous that bid ask spread is so wide and so not a lot trades hands so you can't rely on just that and so what i recognized was all right it's you know in good times you've got you know uh, on the advisory side you may not be doing a lot of in direct investing because the opportunities that aren't there or, you know, you know, your bid ask, your, your internal bid ask isn't, isn't what, you know, we're mandated to do and what we've set our, our, our thesis around. 
And, and then when there's no transaction activity, it really helps drive price. I mean, it, you know, people have, a lot of people need capital solutions. And if, if there's no buyers out there, you know, it presents opportunity for those that have cash. And, and I think you're seeing that now where private equity is almost the only, you know, capital source available. Mm-hmm. Debt markets are very tight. Banks are getting tighter. You're seeing the Mez guys open up, but, you know, guys are, are nervous about, you know, levering up after, after the last few cycles. So yeah, absolutely. You know, the public markets are shut down, private equity is open. So really, you know, back to your question, Jake, was I'd say just multidiscipline, you know, having, having different avenues of, of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Is that tough, you know, running, I'm looking at this from an investor perspective and you mentioned something right there that kind of brought this up, but is it tough going through those cycles as an investor when it seems like the right deal flow isn't there? And obviously you're an entrepreneur, you know, you got the entrepreneur spirit and you're wanting to take action and make moves, but you guys are kind of limited too, right on, on what the market's doing and what's available. So how do you deal with that as an investor? And the reason I ask is because even, you know, someone like me that makes small angel investments, you, you run into that. Like you don't want to just be deploying capital just for the sake of deploying capital, right? You have to find the right opportunities. And so how is that something that you guys, how, how do you deal with that? And yeah. how, how does that work? For, you know, how do the cycles look like for that? Is it kind of up and down for you guys? Yeah. And, and kind of overlap with Jake's previous question. I mean, we had, we had three investments kind of going from 10 to kind of that 10 to 13 season, three or maybe four. And, you know, one was a home run. One was, you know, really, really good. And one was just a, a total, total turd. I mean, it was a, a water hauling business in East Texas and we had 60 trucks and a bunch of frack tanks and just hauling water. So learn, you know, I, I joke, we had, you know, a third of our, a third of our revenue, you know, went to payroll, a, a third went to, you know, insurance, a third went to fuel, a third went to theft a third one you know <laughs> no collections you know and you're just like oh my gosh you're just getting you know there's not enough money in the system there's, here there's not a lot of margin there in a business like that <laughs> and and spent an inordinate amount of time you know trying to fix it you know i can fix this okay let's get you know let's get this model working right this is how, what we underwrote let's go put it in, in play and you know and the experience of that was some of this stuff are just you know the business needs to die you know it, it shouldn't exist and i think you're seeing that you know you see that play out a few more times where we see guys chase other services and it's just such razors than margins on very expensive equipment that you just sit there say well this is you know either a mom and pop runs this and they just live out of it you know you see that a lot that's what ate us alive i think and a lot of that the trucker cost and truck drivers i mean they can they will have and flow with the market so when times are good they're going to jump in and when Mm -hmm. times are bad they just they can they can beat you on the margin Uh, yeah and we you know we scaled up thinking okay scale's the answer and it wasn't. And, you know, I think you've seen that play out in a lot of guys that have had pretty big strategy shifts that, that have been in the truck world. So now I'm, I'm petrified of, of owning a bunch of tractors and <laughs> I don't <laughs> know if, water. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you this or not, but the first business I ever started, I was 21. It was a water hauling business. And this was back in shit, 2011. And, yeah. you know, it was, you know, kind of like right at, you know, right before the Permian really started taking off and anyways, ended up falling out because my business partner was stealing money from me. But yeah, that's now that, that fifth, yeah, you know, yeah. Election stuff. You just, yeah. <laughs> but now that I look back on it, I'm like, you know, it could have gone one or two ways. One, you know, maybe we could have sold it, got acquired, made a lot of money or two, 
it's just a race to the bottom sometimes in those services. And I mean, I think back then we were charging 80 to $85 an hour on a water hauling truck, but then you'd have some mom and pop shop come and undercut you at $65. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at the economics. I'm like, there's no fucking way that that makes, you're not making any money off yeah. of that. I can never make any money off of that. You know, you talk about insurance, maintenance on, on equipment, you know, paying a driver $21 an hour, et cetera, et cetera. It all adds up and it becomes a very high risk, low reward business model. And is that kind of what you're seeing in the service sector as a whole, especially in this downturn? Now, I think there's lots of opportunity. I think, you know, I read an article the other day, I think, I think it was Rig Zone that said it, but you know, the amount of money that gets spent in the oil business, you know, just to keep the production we have online flowing, let alone new drills is a, is massive. You know, the, the, the LOE, if you will, of the upstream side of the world, they quoted a trillion dollar number. I don't know if that was over time, but you know, the, their thesis was, you know, if you can just save 10% of, of the op cost of the producer, you've got a hundred billion dollar market. And I think there's, there's, you know, I, I believe in what they've said directionally. We think, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity in, in doing the, the oil field better. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these businesses, we, we love legacy businesses. We're, we're investors in production chemicals and pressure pumping and safety services and, casing running you know mm-hmm. but we we in all those businesses we try to apply and think about all right what's what's the threat you know not just you know our competitor but the technology threat the automation threat the efficiency you know do they phase out this this sort of segment and, and almost ex- existential threat right what is what do we need to worry about and then you know kind of rather than worry about it, go join it, you know, go, go figure out how to make that mm-hmm. part of your portfolio. Yeah, that's what's interesting about you guys is that you're pretty active in some of your portfolio companies. Very. Like you, you mentioned, you know, the pressure pumping company. What's the, what's the name of it again? Regiment. Regiment. You know, you guys have a, a very active role in that company. Is that kind of part of y'all's thesis or strategy as well as to fund companies, stand them up, and then also have, um, you know, a pretty active involvement in helping those guys run it? Yeah, I think we... You know, we want to be actively involved. We want guys that that want to partner with us. You know, I think we bring. We like to say, "Hey, you go, you go sell, you go operate. We'll make sure the back office, you know, is taken care of. You know, we'll make sure you don't run out of money. You know, whether it's capital raises or debt or, or more equity. You know, our job is really that. You know, managing the books and so you know, living just like our, our investments. We want to do that as efficiently as possible. So you know, we operate kind of like a. A WeWork, if you will, in the office where we've got you know several portfolio companies that that have dedicated you know individuals that sit with them, and then we've got a controller that that shares time across different portfolio companies until they're big enough to to support themselves. And that's an enormous value add and just a good model overall. I mean, we love it. I mean, there's things that these smaller companies just don't. As they get bigger, they don't appreciate. And collections is an easy one, right? Where you get out ninety, you're like, well, why aren't they paying us? You know, the invoice is dated sixty days. You're like, well, this is, you know, this is how they start to do it when you become a material check. And mm-hmm. and there's just little bitty things, you know, between you know what color carbon copy they, you know, what specific operator, and not just the operator, but the South Texas operator needs, you mm-hmm. know, just things like that. And and the more we can share that knowledge across different you know, across different companies, the better. Yeah. So for you guys, what's something, one, let me ask you this. What's your favorite type of company to invest in? Out of out of everything that makes up your portfolio, 
Do you enjoy the heavy tech emphasis? Do you like the legacy oil field service models with the of what's probably toys? whatever makes them the most money? So what makes you the most? That's <laughs> what went through my head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what's my what's my favorite yeah. in terms of fun, or what's my favorite in terms of money? <laughs> yeah, and it's you can't eat IRR is the is the funny saying we've always said. But you know we're looking for for you know we want to be high growth, but we don't want to risk it all. So you know we play the portfolio game. We've got a a fund dedicated to making material investments and and growing those. So. You know, we focused on, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about asset heavy and asset light, you know, just, you know, generate rentals, love that business. You know, we've, we made an investment in 14 in a company called Baseline and, you know, it started with 15 generators and it was one that, okay, we could underwrite, you know, we have good line of sight on, on future demand. We were natural gas focused. So we saw a lot of this strain of gas happening saying, well, let's go find ways to consume that. And today it's got 800 generators it's got a clean balance sheet and you know we're trying to think about how do we grow to the next step because you're starting to see you know field gas become more and more popular with Mm -hmm. you know how do we market and burn and 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 recycle that and so we you know visionary is probably you know too aggressive of a word but you know from the operator side you know in our advisory side we see a lot of struggles that the producer has and we just try and backfill that yeah it's a really good strategy. It's funny about the generator business. There's so many unsexy businesses, especially in oil and gas, that just generate cash, right? I mean, yeah. I, I have this friend that his company, all they do is rentals on travel trailers for company men on the sites. That dude fucking crushes it. Fucking it is? Cru- fucking crushes it, man. And, but it's like Vegas. You always hear about the good ones and nobody tells you about the bad <laughs> ones, right? You know, so there, there's a dozen generator businesses that have fallen away. And you know, I think that's a testament to management. Yeah, absolutely. More what, than anything. What, what types of services do you think are going to die off that are not completely dead yet? Maybe yeah. short term. I think they become commoditized. Like one, I mean, you brought up like casing running services. I mean, shit, the, the technology's already there for fully automated casing tools. You know, especially offshore, it's a problem. Like you'll be offshore and Frank's casing will roll up with 15 guys. You know how expensive that is to keep 15 yeah. guys out on a platform when Weatherford has automation tools that can, one guy can run an entire casing operation yeah and that goes back to your point of you have to take in all accounts and all variables when looking at a company what's the risk you know not just for oil and gas market you know they start laying off these rigs that there goes our market but also the technology risk and management team risk no that's a great one and not getting stuck with the herd mentality i mean we we debate this in inside of inside of casing a lot and the older guys are like you cannot do this you know you're at too valuable a point and in this well to go turn it over to a robot. And yes, that may happen over time or automated applications. There's just so much that can go wrong Mm -hmm. and, and you've got so much cost in it to that stage that, you know, to, uh, to screw that piece up is, you know, the, the producer would rather stick with the hands. I think that evolves over time and we're not naive that that becomes displaced, but that's where I butt heads with people a lot. We think there's a longer tail. The adoption rate is, you know, you think about the oil business. I mean, it is it is a razor thin business in itself, just just on from the producer side. I mean, you go look back and look at return on capital for for all these public oil and gas companies, and it's 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 the it's, worst of all of it's, them, it's right? None. <laughs> and some of that's I was waiting for somebody to bring it up. I was about to pounce. So I got a whole bunch of yeah, got a whole hot take I want to go into. But that cycles, and that you know, people can skew that. You know, and energy has you know, you go read oh, Rogers Super Cycles, right? It, it it is a cyclical business. You can't starve this business of capital and expect production to hang in there. You know, the world is growing. We're getting more and more people. It's exponential. 
you know, oil's, you know, we don't think oil and gas are going anywhere. And yeah. so any offsets you see in some of these alternatives are great, but I don't think it more than offsets the demand that, yep. that's coming. So, you know, we, we want to be aggressive in this market, growing, investing, mm-hmm. and positioning ourselves for, for when it, when it does turn again, because we, we believe that it will. So I think it's a super interesting time now that, now that somebody brought it up, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in here. On the venture capital side of energy tech, like we were talking about it at uh, Energy Tech Night, and John was a panelist for those who weren't there, that is on fire. We're seeing bigger fund sizes. We're seeing bigger checks. There's more startups in the space. A lot of people are growing really fast. It's more momentum than I've ever seen the entire time I've been in this business, about seven years now. The flip side of that, when we're talking about upstream and like what you just mentioned, all these public companies, especially the shale players, are down 50% to 100% or even more year over year than last year. Everybody's talking about capital discipline. There's no free cash flow. We spent $280 billion more than we've made over the last 10 years. That's looking a little bleak. But So we've got two completely opposing sides. It's on fire on the, on the technology side and then literally burning down on fire possibly on, on the upstream mm-hmm. side, especially with the shell players. Who is making money? Because we were talking about in the service side, you know, obviously calling, you know, come from the the roughneck and wireline and and stuff side. You can't, the service side already has really, really thin margins. We can't cut down on, you can't pay these guys any less. You know, we're looking at G&A, what's eating up returns. That always told Jake, like, I'm not going to work on a fucking rate for less than 90 grand a year because, I mean, this shit shit works, right? Yeah. So you have to, it's kind of this balance. I mean, you can't cut operating costs too much on the service side. You know, if you're looking at a producer or from a producer's perspective and you're like, man, we really got to get our our well servicing costs down. Well, these guys are bottomed out. And then also on the flip side, oil goes to $130 a barrel. The oil field service guys are like, okay, we stuck with you here through the downturn years. Now our costs are going up. And so it's kind of just this, this cycle where the EMP never really gets a break to enjoy commodity price inflation because if they do if it does go up oil food services are charging more so well and it, it's a hyper efficient market i think where you're going jake i mean it's it's one that we spend a lot of time thinking about adoption rate with some of these more techie applications because what we do know is the producer you know even if it makes you know sense they're they're focused on that you know dollar per boe they spend a ton of time on on just analyzing the margin and Maybe it makes their job easier, but if it costs an extra, an extra buck, it you know they they have a hard time adopting it and accepting it. And there's you know, and it's different in every company, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see that with the supers for sure. It's funny talking about these public companies. I sent a picture to Jake last week, and it was every public company under a two billion dollar market cap, and just their year to date performance was yeah. fucking depressing i'm talking 50 to 100 percent. a lot of red yeah a lot of red and el paso energy was at the bottom of that list when i sent it to them they had a nine million dollar market cap the week after they had four and a half million and then they filed bankruptcy yeah. i mean they just took a nose that but i mean it's el paso like they were a big company yeah it's just wild to see that you know el paso out of the top five basins they were number 13 and number amount of uh, horizontal wells owned i mean and you see there that, you know, total amount of production doesn't equate to a healthy balance sheet. But it's just these operators are having a hard time making any money, right? Well, I think it's, you know, it's the money supply and energy has been so high for so long that people have been taking more and more risk. And, you know, you've had the adoption of, of shale. And so, 
everybody's looking for that new play. They're looking for the extensions. You know, you asked what my favorite investment is. I and mean, we spend a lot of time on, on just cash on cash. How do we make cash? We can spend it. You know, I'm not worried about multiple expansion and, and exit, you know, to a degree as much as I am. And, you know, how do we just make cash? You know, and mm-hmm. if we, if, you know, if we can't sell because, you know, the market's not there like it is today, then let's just make distributions. Let's go kind of, you know, yield co or, you know, let's find things to reinvest at that time and, and open up new divisions or new lines of services. But, you know, we've, you know, we have spent a ton of time focusing on cash on cash and I have, you know, forever because it's really been ingrained to me, you know, from, from my prior companies. It's, you know, you, you saw what guys went broke, you know, because they were chasing marginal things. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. How do, how do we get here? Do you think it was, do you think it was greed? Do you think it was just taking too much risk? Do you think it was a lack of understanding, lack of understanding? Do you think it, I mean, cause you look at all these investor presentations now and it's, it's blaming, Oh, well, you know, the EUR is a lot less than it was. The IR is a lot less. The B factor is much higher. This and that spacing issues. It seems like they're always pointing the finger at something, but is there some kind of systemic issue? Do you feel like? I, I don't think we're in a bad spot. I mean, I think we're in a bad spot relative to where we came from. I mean, if you put money in over the last, you know, four or five years, you've gotten crushed. But, you know, coming out of school in 2000, I mean, for the past 20 years, I'd say oil and gas is is better priced from a buyer than it's ever been in, in my career. You know, I've never seen assets trade at their their intrinsic PV, I think. You know, mm-hmm. I may be in the minority on this a little bit or a lot of it, especially for the legacy guys that own a bunch already. But this is, you know, this is the closest I would say that producers have, have really traded for for the intrinsic value of their production. You think we've just been in a bubble and everything's been over overvalued for so long? Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know if it's a bubble, but people have, have put a lot of value on on the future that, you know, takes a long time to bring forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you see that a little in royalties right now. People are chasing royalties like crazy and we've had a hard time jumping in it because you know it's all dependent on when that that field gets developed and if that's 30 years from now you could have done a lot better things with with that cash yeah than sitting there so let's go make our money and then you know and then think about you know i think about capital appreciation and and preservation and i think the guys buying royalties are you know will will preserve capital but is it the is it the highest and best use we we struggle yeah. sometimes yeah is the, the best way to distribute your capital and make a return or if we're going to do it we're going to do it through guys like Reza who know a lot more about it and and when things are moving yeah to, mm-hmm. exactly to convert that to cash we've seen an influx of uh mineral funds and, and just mineral groups in general do you think there's still money to be made in minerals i think it's a good asset class i think it's i think we can get better returns on equity and other other parts of the portfolio mm-hmm. unless we have some inside edge on development of of a particular track but i mean it's hard to get inside edges in that business right it's hyper competitive and that's literally yeah. the only the only way that you can get an edge really is get an inside some inside information on on a drill program and get ahead of the bit yeah you think um, you have inside edge and you you know you bump it over to Luis at raising he's like yeah i looked at that you know three months ago like, oh, <laughs> thought we had this, like, this holy grail i thought i was there <laughs> so we have a lot of people listening that um, i think the inside edge is people I and mean, that's where we really spend a lot of time focused on absolutely partnering with guys and and all our co-investments is with guys that have you know been in casing or been in generators or so that's actually this is actually what i was kind of about to transition to was that you know we have a lot of people on the show have the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I can't tell you how many messages I get like, Hey man, I'm working for the CMP. You know, I'm just, I'm fucking miserable. I want to start my own, my own business. I've always been an entrepreneur. 
what do you guys look from a management team or from a founder? You know, what, what do you guys, what really sticks out to you when you look at the investments that you've made? Mm-hmm. What do you like to see in management teams? Well, first I tell those guys to call us, you know, email us or, you know, text us, find us on the website. Cause we see a lot of incomplete teams, you know, guys that need an engineer or need a geologist or are looking for an asset. You know, you may have an, an asset identified, but don't know where to go with it. Well, we got three guys thinking about mm-hmm. starting something that need an asset. So, you know, much like you, we try to, we try to create opportunity mm-hmm. being a, a network. So, you know, what I'd tell them is, you don't have to jump ship and run a desk to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I think you can, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. We see a lot of guys moonlight, you know, where they're working nights and mornings and weekends and, you know, there's just a thirst for it. And, you know, the more we can work with those guys and sort of help them during, you know, during the work hours, sort of refine their business plan. You know, our goal is to, we try to tell producers, you know, our job is to, improve your certainty of success you mm-hmm. know, whether it's a capital raise whether it's an asset acquisition you know we've got all the drilling info and aries and you know capital subscriptions that somebody may need an entrepreneur that hey you know how do we how do we get started you've got a lot of resources to dedicate yeah. on the back end find mentors you know those are you know whether it's us or somebody else i mean there's a lot of people out there it, it is an it is a very risk tolerant business mm-hmm. when it comes to getting started yep which absolutely. is odd because it doesn't really transition when it comes to spending money you know on these different technologies and yeah the adoptions but the risk tolerance is there i mean you think about going and drilling a well for 10 million bucks not knowing what you're getting you know it's yeah <laughs> yes you won't you know give yeah. me a hundred bucks a month for the subscription you yeah. Know, <laughs> yeah. of uh, something else you know it's kind of a funny paradox yeah how that you're works. beating me up for you know day rates yeah. Yeah. I think that's something really cool that you guys do, you know, kind of putting these teams together, helping stand up companies, you know, not only contributing capital, but all the resources that you do. Plus you guys are just kind of, uh, you know, you're very forward thinking, especially for this space. I remember the first time I walked in y'all's office, I saw some mining machines. Yeah. And off. I was like, yes, fucking mining cryptocurrency. <laughs> we, you know, we yeah. experiment. We like, let's John, see what this is about. John, John brings his M&M dispenser onto the table that he had 3D printed. So, like, dude, I've never seen someone, like, so proud of something that they've made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've never used so many M&Ms in a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. on by. And Jake's a sucker for peanut m and so, yeah, he goes to town on it. But, yeah, so, you know, kind of wrapping this up, ending it, you know, if anyone's looking to you know, either get funding for their company or they are interested in, you know, becoming an operator on a, on a management team, where can they find you guys at? Our website's the easiest place www.dv-llc.com. Okay, awesome. So we'll put a link to that in the notes and then we'll put a link to, uh, you're on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll put a link. Google Donovan Ventures. I mean, there's a uh, Robert Smith's out there. Yeah, Robert. Right-hand man, he's. Robert uh, Smith's a great friend of mine. I wanted him on the show today. I'm some, I'm I don't know what you get when you when you LinkedIn Robert Smith. There may be like 400, so maybe Robert Smith on <laughs> adventures. It's a very, <laughs> very generic name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but great guys. I've enjoyed, you know, just, you know, shooting the shit with you guys and, and talking with y'all and working with y'all. And I think that that's probably, that could probably be said for a lot of y'all's portfolio companies too. I'm sure they enjoy working with you guys. So we'll put links in our show notes. Am I missing out? No, that's, here? that's it, man. Thanks for coming again. I, I love what you guys are doing. And, yeah, of course. But love what you guys are doing. I mean, y'all are filling a niche for a lot of people. And, you know, the the money is shifting to 
the space you're you're targeting so we see a lot of people chasing that thanks man well it's a team effort between everyone involved in the space right so we appreciate everything that you guys do and yeah any way that we never help y'all out just let us know you bet thanks guys thanks man all right guys if you enjoy the show like always please just leave us a little bit of a comment it's not a comment i guess it's a review or rating or just share with your friends subscribe to our youtube yes subscribe to our youtube our youtube's a little bit it's lagging a little bit i think we're like Almost 600 subscribers. YouTube's a long... I'm starting to think long that people in oil and gas don't watch YouTube. Well, no, it's also, a little weird. They to not listen to podcasts either. Yeah, that's true. So, go check us out on YouTube. If you guys have any questions, we actually have... We might do a question show soon because we have an inbox full of like 12 questions that are actually really, really great questions. That's a good idea. Yeah, so if you have any questions, hit us up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. We're, we're Colin and I are back at Tweety again. Well, I'm back at it. Colin's been doing this the whole time. So you can catch us on any of those. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Come, 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 come.